0: Thanks, Mana. Well, today's a little bit of a sad day for us here at Central because um, it's our last time gathering here in this building. Um, it's a bit sad because we've been here for, I think it's pretty close to five years. It might even be longer. Um, it's sad because we won't be here in this same community, but it's also an exciting day because um, next week we'll be in our new building. There's lots more to do in our new building. Woo, some excitement there. Some, they're the people that are on backup Up and Set Up. They're like, woo, this is great. Um, But it's sad in that sense, but it's also sad as we get to this part in the story of human history. And you see where mankind has gotten to, and you see really God's judgment on humanity, and it helps us to have a look at ourselves and the world and see it from God's point of view. What we're going to see today is not a story really about animals and boxes, that's what an ark means, Uh, although there's animals and an ark in here, um, it's not even really about morality. What we've got in front of us today is a story about theology, which is really a story about God. Now, all theology, all understanding of God is practical because as we understand who God is and how he's acted, it changes the way that we live. So why don't you join me and why don't we pray together now, asking God to shape us by his word and spirit this morning. Let's Let's pray together. Father, as we have just heard your living and active Word read, we ask today that we'd be gripped by your power, confronted by your justice, motivated by your love, and changed by your Spirit. Pray this in your Son's name. Amen. Well, the story starts out with the sad news highlighting the extent of humanity's rebellion. The extent of wickedness on the face of the earth, only six chapters in to the story of humanity. And we see it's fallen to an all-time low. Look with me at chapter 6, verse 5. When the Lord saw that human wickedness was widespread on the earth, and that every inclination of the human mind was nothing but evil all the time, the Lord regretted that he had made man on the earth and was deeply grieved. Now this idea that we look at here is what theologians today call total depravity. It's this fancy term that points to the fact that every thought and every deed and every action of every person on the face of the planet is in some way, shape or form corrupt, perverted, broken. It's not the goodness that God intended it to be and we don't live in the way that God intended us to live. In our natural state, in our own strength, the human heart and mind is totally and utterly evil. Now, when I say that, there's part of me that's like, oh, that's a bit strong, Rowan. You know, does someone get out of the wrong side of bed today? It just feels a little bit heavy to say uh, because you kind of look around at the world and we don't look that bad. You know, we see good deeds happen. We've done good deeds. We've acted in good ways. There's human flourishing. There's, there's goodness on the earth. It's also not saying here that we don't have good intentions or that we try to do good we do try to do good but what we're seeing is that God makes this statement about humanity about the position of humanity that our hearts to their very core by our own choice are turned against God let me give you an illustration that might help you to understand this so we'd all imagine for a moment you're all sailors You're sailors and you're a, a kind of boat theme happening today so all sailors on a boat Now you're looking at all the other sailors that are there and you happen to be, and this is not logically possible, but you happen to be the best sailor in the world. Every single one of you is the best, okay? (laughs) Best, you, you are awesome at navigating, you can pick the winds, you can kind of sniff out directions at night, you can navigate by the stars, you're an amazing sailor, you're really good to all the other crew members on the boat, you, you kind of help out where you can, you, you, you kind of every possible imagination you could have of a good sailor with all the skills and all of the EQ and all of the kind of personal relationship goodness is there, and, and everything that you do is just done so well. that is what you are like. Imagine yourself standing at the front of the ship, wind in your hair, kind of not like Titanic because he's about to fall, but you know actually at the front of the ship the winds there and, and you can kind of imagine the camera panning back, the best sailor in the world, there you are. And as the camera pans back it sees a flag on top of the ship and as it kind of pans back to see the flag. You notice it's a flag that's black and on it is a skull and crossbones. Suddenly you realize you're a pirate. You're the best sailor in the world, but you're sailing under the flag of rebellion against the authorities. You're saying, I'm the best sailor in the world, but I'm going to do things to achieve my purposes and my goals. And that's kind of what it's like for us as humankind. As you look on the surface of the deck of the world, we look pretty good people, pretty well scrubbed up here. Look like we're doing good things. I didn't see anyone punch one another on the way in or no car park brawls that I was aware of. If they were, come and chat later. It's fine. Jesus forgives. We can work that out. But the problem is our hearts are turned to serve another king. Not the king who is the king of kings and the Lord of Lord Jesus, but every good action we do on the surface of the earth is done in rebellion against the true and living God, against his authority. Since Adam and Eve and their rebellion against God, our hearts have been a chip off the old block. They've been corrupt because while we look like we're doing well on the surface, we've rejected the true authority that exists. So everything we do, even the good actions, if they're not done for God, are done in rebellion against Him. As the camera pans back of the face of the earth in Genesis 6, it's exactly how God describes it. Look at verse 11. Now the earth was corrupt in God's sight. The earth was filled with wickedness. God saw how corrupt the earth was for every creature had corrupted its way on earth. It spread now to all of creation. And that's where we start to see the effect of humanity's rebellion. The effect of humanity's rebellion. Humanity rebel against God and we fly our own flag of serving ourselves and putting ourselves as captain of our own ships and it affects the rest of the world. Now I I really don't like violence, particularly when it's against me, but others that I love as well. Violence is something that that I think most of us genuinely hate. I mean, I'm sure there's times when we're tempted to indulge in a little bit of violence. We might watch a UFC fight on TV. Uh, Occasional bit of road rage has come out. Have you ever felt that? You kind of get angry at the person next to you, or uh, sometimes those wonderful, amazing gifts God's given us called children, and you kind of, you want to, do things to them that you shouldn't. And you don't, but there are moments that, you know, every parent here goes, yeah, yeah, that's me, I've been there. <laughs> Everyone who's not a parent is like, oh, how could you ever <laughs> just wait? You can look after mine for a while. No, they're pretty good now, but not perfect. <laughs> Generally, we hate violence because we know it's wrong. There's something stitched into the very fabric of the way we've been created in God's image that every person knows that violence is somehow wrong because we've been made in the image of God. And that's because God hates violence too. It's just not part of his character. It's abhorrent to him to be violent. Now, I don't know how many of us here do struggle with violence. Some of us definitely will. It may or may not be physically harming someone or or it might be i don't know how many times you like me find violence on your tongue in the words that you use or in your mind in the the things that you think or the, the desire to give someone what they deserve to cause them a little bit more pain i don't know how many times you say or think things about others or to others that has an intention to cause hurt and pain you know why we do that because we have a heart just like our father Adam, a heart that is turned against God. If you do have an issue with violence here, you do need to get some help. Come and chat to me or your connect group leader or or go make an appointment with a trained counsellor or psychologist. Actually do something to work through what's going on here and come to the God who gives an answer to violence that we'll see a little bit later in this passage. Not only does God hate violence, but it grieves and pains him to see his creation turn against one another. He hates seeing his creation self-destruct. So that's why he says to God in verse, to Noah in verse 13, Then God said to Noah, I've decided to put an end to every creature, for the earth is filled with wickedness because of them. Therefore I'm going to destroy them along with the earth. How many times have you asked yourself, why doesn't God do something about all the evil and injustice and wickedness in the world? The truth is he has and he will again. But here is a picture for us to learn from. I want you to see just how offensive our rebellion is. God here is not some super kind of power hungry tyrant who can't handle a a few white lies about him. He sees humanity's rebellion for what it is and says, this cannot go on, not like this, this cannot go on. The resolve to do whatever we wanna do, to whoever we wanna do it to, because we have placed ourselves at, at the center of the universe and we've flown our own little flag with our own little images on it, rather than worshiping the true and living God, causes incredible damage to our world. You just got to look around at the the wrongs that happen, the injustices that are there, the times that people do and say things that are horrific. And we're like that too, left to our own devices. There have been so many times I'm like, I can't believe I was thinking of doing this. I can't believe I said that. I can't believe I did that. That's what happens when we put ourselves in the position of God, we become rule makers. And destruction and violence is what ensues. So out of God's love for his creation and out of justice at the creator, God resolves here in Genesis 6 to stop the violence and to wipe out his creation. He basically presses the reset button on the cosmos he created. Is God a violent tyrant? No. He's just. He sees his creation as it truly is totally and utterly corrupt rejecting the life that he has given and the right and just punishment is to remove what he is given from it in the space of 17 years between 18 sorry 1982 and 1999 a man by the name of Jerry Givens killed 62 people 62 What's worse is that the government knew about it. They did nothing to stop Jerry from doing this. In fact, it turns out he was a US government employee. And he got off scot-free. He never went to jail. He never got a criminal offence. How is that possible? Was he corrupt? Was he violent? No. He was Virginia's chief executioner. He was put in place by the government to enact justice every one of those 62 people were tried and found guilty and Jerry Gibbons was the man that ended their violence for good he exercised justice now as I hear that I'm like wow you want to make sure you get it right that's the thing with capital punishment yes you see that you know blood for blood life for life is a principle that we kind of have but how can we know for sure I know there's been many people that have been wrongly accused And so that's why I think we often pull back. But if you could know for sure that someone was guilty of those deeds, say if you were God, and you knew their hearts and actions and mind, then that would actually be just and right to take life from those who had taken life themselves. Although it's hard for us to see because we're not perfect, the flood is an action not of a violent God, it's an action of a God who is just, who cares about right and wrong. It's a God who cares about doing what is good and having a world that works the way he made it to work. It's a God who puts an end to violence and wickedness. Let me ask you this morning, how, how do you view your own heart if you look at yourself in the mirror. There'll be all sorts of thoughts that go through. I'm looking older. Um, I'm seeing more grey little bits come here and there. But if you're anything like me, you kind of go, "Yeah, but I'm, I feel like I'm not a bad person. Not really bad." This whole episode in Genesis six to nine is here to help us to stop. I wanted to start the sermon this way today to help us to see how confronting it is because we can get caught up in a story of little arky-arkies and animal anomalies, and Noah and some food on the boat and how many giraffes can you fit on a boat and is a lion a clean or an unclean animal? There's so many questions that are there and then what about rabbits? And Anyway, <laughs> there's so many questions that come to us but really it's confronting, isn't it? God wiping out almost the entirety of the earth what could we have done that is so bad could I be like that but the God of the Bible is not like us he is good not only is he good he's phenomenally powerful with his word he spoke and creation came into being with his word he speaks and justice is delivered. Do you know how many lengths we go to as a society to try and see justice delivered? Yet God speaks and justice is delivered. Look at verse 19 of chapter 7. Then the waters surged even higher on the earth and all the high mountains under the whole sky were covered. The mountains were covered as the water surged above them more than 20 feet. Every creature perished. Those that crawl on the earth, birds, livestock, wildlife, those that swarm on the earth, as well as all mankind. Everything with the breath of the spirit of life in its nostrils, everything on dry land, died. He wiped out every living thing that was on the face of the earth, from mankind to livestock, to creatures that crawl, to the birds of the sky, They were wiped off the earth. Only Noah was left, and those that were with him in the ark." see friends here is the outcome of humanity's rebellion what God made he now unmakes do you see that in Genesis 3 mankind reversed the order of creation where snake creation led Eve to rebel against Adam to lead Adam to rebel against God it was a complete reversal of the order God had set up and so now God comes through with the effects of this reversal of order and says I'm going to reverse creation itself he uncreates his creation, not with a sense of glee, but sadness and pain. That idea that he, he regrets what he had done, he's not going, "Oh, I made a mistake. He's sitting there going, oh, the pain of what I've done. He knew it would happen. That was part of the plan from the beginning. Jesus was always the end of the plan of the Godhead. The three persons, God, Father and Holy Spirit together had planned this from before creation existed. But at this moment, God is feeling "Ah, oh, the pain of his people, his creation that he loves. And there's a sense where the Bible could have ended here again, couldn't it? God could have said, that's enough. Experiment over. Justice would have been delivered. God still would have been good. He would have been just. Violence and corruption would have ended on the earth. However, the God that we meet in the pages of the Bible and throughout the pages of history is not only just. He's incredibly powerful and loving he's the most compassionate slow to anger and overflowing with love and mercy person you could ever meet let me say it again God is the most compassionate the most gracious and slow to anger overflowing with love person you could ever meet The temptation is to come along and think well I would have been more gracious I would have been slower to anger I wouldn't have done this but you don't know the reality of what's going on in the lives of everyone you and I sit here we know nothing he knows everything and yet he still puts up with them and puts up with us amidst the violence and corruption of the world God keeps for himself a man a man who would look very different from the rest Moses writes of this man called Noah like this in chapter 6 verse 9. Noah was a righteous man, blameless among his contemporaries. Noah walked with God. He had relationship with God. He walked in God's way. Noah was was kind of different. And so God takes Noah and he tells him of the coming flood. He tells him he's going to wipe out all people and put an end to the earth. And he tells him to make a box literally what the word ark means just box right but it's a massive box in the kind of description that the Bible holds out imagine a building a little bit longer than three football fields sorry then one football field and three stories high so three story high one football field boat if that wasn't enough for Noah to build we're all feeling that as we try and see a north building and a central campus put together particularly a few of us that have been building kind of things. If that wasn't enough for Noah to build, he was then to fill it with two kinds of every kind of animal found on the earth and seven of every clean animal because they were clean and unclean animals. And so he's to fill it with seven of the clean and pairs, seven pairs, and two, one pair of, of the unclean animals. And on, on top of that, he then has to store enough food to feed everyone in, everyone in it for a year. He's got a lot of work to do. Now apparently uh, people kind of mapped it out and it is possible to kind of fit that many animals and food and things on something of that size. It is, it is possible. I think okay legit I'm gonna trust the Bible but particularly I'm going to trust the Bible because Jesus does. And I'm convinced that as Jesus steps onto the world's, um, the world's history he's the true and living God and he holds the Old Testament as true. Because he believes the Old Testament, so do I. I'm with him. And so at this point, I go, okay, this is what has gone on here. But the biggest question isn't how many giraffes you can fit in an ark. It's why did God choose Noah? Why did God choose Noah? That's the question for us. All of humanity were rebellious. All of them were wicked. Why did God pick Noah? Was it because he was a righteous man, perfect in God's sight? Was it because he was different to everyone else? Was it because he walked with God? Well, The answer to those three questions is a big, fat no. So often what we hear is, is that there are good guys and bad guys. Christians are about doing good things. They're good people. And there are those who aren't good people. They're, they're bad people. And God loves the good guys. And God hates the bad guys. And that's what we kind of think. It's this moralistic way of viewing the world. And the good guys, they get to go on the boat and get to go off to heaven and the bad guys get to swim. So be a good guy. There you go. That's how you you preach this part of God's word. That's not what the Bible actually teaches us. Why did God pick Noah? Because it had nothing to do with Noah. Look at verse 6. Sorry, verse 8 of chapter 6. Noah, however, found favour with the Lord. Noah found favour with the Lord. We need to hone in on this, on this passage here. See, here we see the effect of God's favour. The effect of God's favour. Have you ever had someone do a favour for you? Like they helped you out and they did something. Um, so you know, the other day I asked someone to grab um, some, some sticky tape. So I needed some. I was masking out some stuff at the central building. Uh, and I said, keepers, get me some sticky. Can you do a favor for me? Can you grab a sticky tape? Um, now, they didn't have to do it. They didn't go and do it because like, oh, I have to do it now. It was a favor. They weren't doing it because I deserved it. They were just doing it for me out of the kindness of their heart. I didn't pay them. I didn't kind of do anything special in that regard. And if you think about it, if someone does you a favor, they're not doing it because you deserve it. You, you won't, if, if you pay them for it, it's not a favour, it's, it's work. You can only call it a favour when someone does something they didn't have to do. Let me say it again. You can only call it a favour when someone does something they didn't have to do. Otherwise, it's not a favour, is it? Noah found favour in the eyes of our Lord. Favour. Do you know what that is? It's the first occurrence in the Bible of the Hebrew word, which is translated grace undeserved gift it's the first occurrence Noah found the grace of God in his eyes he found grace in the eyes of a Lord God treated Noah not the way he deserved to be treated but graciously generously beyond what he deserved not because of anything Noah had done it was a gift God showed Noah grace because Noah had a heart just like you and me, just like every other son of Adam. Every inclination of his heart was only evil all the time. But God reached out and God spoke to Noah. He told him to take him out of his word. And what did Noah do? He trusted in the word of God. He trusted God's promise. He built an ark. He got the animals in. Now, I don't know if the animals were kind of listening better than my dog does. (laughs) Can he go? The dog doesn't move. If if he called out, giraffey, and off it came in. I don't know how that worked. But Noah listened to God's word. He actually obeyed him. And that's where the difference lies between Noah and every other dropkick just like Noah. Noah took God at his word. He listened to his amazing grace and incredible mercy. In the New Testament, the writer of the book of Hebrews writes in Hebrews 11, verse 7, By faith, Noah, after he was warned about what was not yet seen and motivated by godly fear, in other words, fear of God, he trusted God, he built an ark to deliver his family. By faith, he condemned the world and became an heir, an inheritor of the righteousness that comes by faith. Noah's righteousness was nothing to do with in and of himself. It was the fact that God treated him with favour. Just like David was, was the one that God set his heart on, so with Noah, it was God's work who did it. Time and time again throughout this passage, we hear the repeated phrase of Noah trusting in God's word. 6.22, Noah did this. He did everything the Lord had commanded him. 7.5, Noah did everything the Lord commanded him. Seven nine. Noah entered the ark just as God had commanded him. The question for us is not, am I a good person, but have I taken the word of God to heart? Have I listened to the word of God as the ultimate authority in my life? Am I flying the flag of God's word or of my own word? See, being a follower of Jesus has got nothing to do with how good we are, nothing. But everything to do with if you take God at his word, if you trust in his promises. To trust someone is to take them at their word, right? So let me ask this morning, where are you tempted to disbelieve God's word? Which of his promises do you have issues with and struggle to rely upon? Genesis 6-9 to shows us that Noah took God at his word. And then God's word took place on earth. The rains came down and the floods came up. And the people on the earth were smashed. The floods went down. The rains went away. And all that was left was a big box full of creatures. For the world's new restart that God had remade. Then we get to see how we respond to the favor of God. Look at the way Noah does it. Just over one year after God judged the world, Noah would step out of this box into a virgin world washed clean by judgment and then repopulate the earth with every living creature just as God had told him to do. Can you imagine it? Can you imagine the flurry of color? The day that that ark, kind of the big door comes down, And then out come all the animals, every creature, great and small. The noises as they walk out on this new, washed clean earth, the the colors that would have been there and, and the animals and the noises they walked and the joy of people seeing this new creation together. You can imagine it, this cacophony of color and amazement at God's saving work through his word. And there on the kind of bridge as he's walking off into this new creation stands Noah and his family, a new start new creation new hope what would you do if that was you you'd been on the ark for a year you'd become friends with a few more animals gotten a little frustrated with some other people on the ark finally the ark's rested the waters have gone down god says it's time to come out it's a new creation what would you do you know you want to lie on the ground and smell the dirt rub it on your face and be like ah dirt finally where have you been like what what would you do come with me to 8 verse 20 and see Noah's response. Then Noah built an altar to the Lord. He took some of every kind of clean animal and every kind of clean bird and offered burnt offerings on the altar. You're like, what? You just killed a seventh of the clean animals on the earth. All the conservationists are like, ah! There's only like, you killed a seventh of them he built an altar as he walks off to express his joyful worship of the God whose word he trusted, of the God who saved him from what he deserved of being wiped out and saved these animals. He walked out and went, Oh God, you are good. Thank you for saving me. Thank you for keeping your promises. Thank you that you are just. Thank you for this new start. I want to offer you so much of what I already have. And so he sacrifices, one seventh of the world's population of clean animals. Why? Because he was recognizing God was in control. The God who created by His word was the same God who sent judgment by His word. He's the same God who stopped the rains from falling by His word. who's the same God who saved them by His word in building the ark. Noah stood there going, "God can do whatever He wants." If you're ever at a moment thinking, "Is God really in control?" Noah is like, "No, He is." <laughs> Definitely is, looking around, yep, it's just, it's just me and those who've trusted God's word. That is it. We need to recognize how easy it is for us to think that we are in control and how much that shapes the way that we act in the world around, how, how often we think that you know, we, can, we can do it by our own strength and we, we just need to be wise in these areas. Noah was so aware that he was not in control and that the God who made all the earth and wiped out all the animals could with six pairs remake the earth so he sacrifices a seventh of the clean animals on earth and says Lord you are worthy of this pleasing aroma I offer these to you because I want to honor you Noah had seen that everything he had that was on that little ark was God's that God had given it to him that God would sustain it that he couldn't control squat (laughs) let me ask Have you seen that? Everything that you own, everything in that house, that box, that car, everything in your brain, in your body, in your bank balance, your skills, your intellect, your time and your money, all of it is God's. It is given to you by Him and to be used for serving Him. All of it is given by God and for God. Noah was so thankful for God and his salvation, he offered a sacrifice, like Abel, giving from the little he had and the first that he had, so Noah walks off the boat amongst this amazing picture of a new creation and says, God, you are good. You are worthy of my everything. He took God at his word, he trusted him, and he worshipped him sacrificially. Doesn't it just make you want to worship God? Don't you want to stand there and go, man, I want to be more like Noah. Really taking God at his word, trusting in his promises, living radically and sacrificially, giving my all to God in every area of life. It's the same question that Cain got asked, where are you holding back from worshipping God with everything he's given you? There are so many ways we can serve and as a church over the last few years it's been so encouraging to see people serve God radically and sacrificially. We're at a point in our church's history where we can think through doing that again as we have our, the funds we need to raise for the north building and we've got um, the, the tax rebates coming next month. And also for this new central building, there's just there's literally so much work to be done. Can I, can I let you know some things that we'd love you to think about using the skills and gifts God's given you to help us in uh, before next Sunday? Just heads up. Uh, we need to install chairs um, to, to be frankly clear, we need 3,300 holes drilled in concrete. Uh, We need 6,500 bolts to be screwed into those holes in different places and the chairs by next week. Now I know as a church, we've had a few working bees, we've had lots on, and God in his providence has said, hey, now's the time to give you buildings. I don't know why I didn't do that 10 years ago or five years ago or space them out a little more. That would have been great, but here's the reality of where things are. There's just an opportunity that if you have the time, if God's given you that time of, and that opportunity to and resource to actually go, hey, this week I could jump in, pick a night uh, and come and do some chair installation. That'd be a great way to apply some of this, not the only way, but one way. Another way is we've got to, we've got to pay for those chairs. Uh, we're encouraging people in church to think about um, buying a chair for each person in your family, and then also buying a chair for another family that you can be praying for and invite. You know, obviously, you're not gonna go, oh, this is the chair I bought for you. Or, <laughs> Or, 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 you know, walk in and be like, I bought that chair right up the front, that's my chair. We're like, no. Um, but the chair's are costing us $50 each, um, and we, we had to buy a lot of them. And it also work for the North Shore as well. So if you want to think through doing that and, and buying a $50 chair for yourself and maybe for someone else, um, that'd be a great way to do it. We, we've just flicked out an email to people giving you next steps for that, if you'd be keen to serve in this way. But don't just make it about a building and money. Now, Noah serves God with his whole life. In every area, he worships him. And when I look at what Noah does and the way he acts, I find myself going, man, I want to be like Noah. We need more men and women like Noah. But I want to just focus in for the last little section here on the guys here for a bit. Guys, at this point, Noah is the picture of the real man. He leads his household well by the word of God. He he, he serves them. He, he gathers up and does what he needs to do. He's not perfect, but he, he takes God at his word, all of it, and he does what God says. One of the problems that we have in the Christian church today is that we're lacking men like Noah. We're lacking men who take responsibility for the condition of their own household, for, for how their family are going, for how they're putting Jesus first, for being more and more like Jesus day after day after day. We're lacking that for men who, who worship God in head, heart and hands. Men whose minds are tapped into God's word. Men whose hearts aren't callous and lethargic and apathetic, but are on fire for the gospel. Men whose lives, whose every action bow to the audience of one. Oh, that is what I want to be like. That's what I want us as a church to be praying we will all be like, and particularly for the men who are leading families lovingly and sacrificially, that we would be living to the audience of one, the true and living God because we've been captivated by how amazingly generous the God of the universe is captivated because the God that we naturally reject is the God who's offered us life in Jesus Paul says in 1 Corinthians 1 verse 18 for the word of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing but is the power of God for us who are being saved the world around says, trusting in Jesus, serving him, radically living for him. That's, that's crazy. That's foolishness. But friends, in the story of Noah, we get to see the other side. When the world has faced the judgment of God, those that will be standing are those that have trusted in the incredible mercy and generosity and gifted, gift-graceness of God. So do not give in to this world. Do not look at the world around and go I want to be more like them look to the God who is in control listen to his word don't lie down and cower to the swarms of people running the other way who want to say that the rainbow flag is is a flag for something other than what this part of the Bible says no stand up lovingly and say I believe in a God who is merciful who doesn't give us what we deserved this is how the writer of Hebrews responds to the faith of Noah in verse Chapter 12, verse 1, and have a listen to it. Therefore, since we have such a large cloud of witnesses surrounding us, like Noah, let us lay aside every hindrance and the sin that so easily ensnares us. Let us run with endurance the race that lies before us, keeping our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. For the joy that lay before him, he endured the cross, despising the shame and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Unfortunately, in the story of Noah, it doesn't take very long at all until he fails. He stumbles, as we all do. But the great news is that we now have another leader who is greater than Noah. One who did not stumble, who always worshipped the true and living God in the person of Jesus. The one who died in our place and faced the flood of God's wrath for us. In its entirety, an even greater pouring out of what we deserve than what the whole earth got in Genesis 6 and 7, Jesus took on the cross so that those who trust in the word of God can stand forgiven. A new start, a fresh start. Serving God, not because we've got to be perfect people, but because we serve the perfect creator who died in our place. And so God gives Noah a a sign, a covenant, a promise, more of his word. He says, I'm going to create in the sky a bow, a rainbow. And it will remind me, as it will remind you, that one, we deserve God's judgment. That's what rainbows should do for us. As we see them in the sky and go, isn't that pretty? We need to go, yeah, I deserve death, judgment, and hell. But at the same time, we can go, God promises that he'll never wipe out the world like that again. And that in Jesus, we have a big, fat arrow pointing our eyes to a different horizon to focus our lives on, the horizon of God's word and his promises. So every time we see a rainbow, we think of what Jesus has done, that he promised to take the penalty for our sins. he promised that if we trust in him that we can stand forgiven and therefore live for him and worship him in every area of life, even if it looks hard, even if we're giving all that we can and others are flourishing and we're feeling like we're not, we look to the end and know we will stand at a new creation when every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. And people will be gathered around the throne as Jesus comes back and will worship him as the true and living God forever. Friends, this story is not about Noah. It's about God. It's about God's justice that he pours out, that we deserve. It's about God's mercy that he doesn't give us what we deserve, that he, that he holds back and that he's given us his son in Jesus and it's about his grace, his gifts. Look at what he's given us in God the Son. So friends, don't let this world decide your view of God, but be shaped by his word. And let's walk away from the story of Noah today excited, determined to rest in the incredible mercy and grace of God that he's shown in the person of Jesus and live for his glory. Why don't you join with me as we pray and ask God to help us to do that. Father God, as we look at the story of your justice, we're challenged by how broken that we are, that our hearts always tend to turn away from you rather than toward you. You know that. We know that. We're sorry for the times that we do that Lord but we are so thankful for your mercy that you chose to show us your favor in Jesus and that you've given us your word and that your word is trustworthy and we ask that as we walk away from this passage today we would be amazed we'd be excited to live for the God who is in control to worship you and to point people to your son and so we ask that as we as we walk out of here today having heard you speak You'd fix our eyes on the horizon of eternity, on the new creation of the new heaven and a new earth when you remake everything perfectly and, and that our hearts are no longer turned against you when we get to see Jesus face to face and walk with him as it was in the garden with you. We ask that that picture would propel us to live for you now and to serve you in all that we do, loving one another so we might be standing firm in Jesus on that last day. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.